Yeah, I've had the opportunity of being with Pastor Tom in China and uh, being a part of training and teaching some of the pastors. A very humbling experience to see how they put their life on the line literally every single day. And, you know, I've never been arrested once or four times. Of course, you've been arrested <laughs> once, isn't that right? <laughs> Haven't you? Keep moving. Keep, Keep moving. moving. Keep moving. And by the way, when I hugged him, I'm taller than he is. I'm taller than you are. Ask, ask Jeremy about his arrest, if you get a chance, if you don't know about it. Ask Pastor Jeremy. It's a great story. In the first we'll just, service, you made it sound like I went to the big house, like went to prison and Alcatraz and something. Well, jail's jail, brother. Yeah. I mean, I can't help that. There's a paperwork discrepancy. We're, we, we're, we're digressing, by yes, the way. Yes, anyway, anyway, but to see what these uh, wonderful men and women uh, of God over there have to go through, it, it was a very humbling Experience, And, you know, we could sit up here and listen to Pastor Tom all day long and just hear all the different stories uh, that he has to share. But I have to be honest, when, when I hear him or someone like him talking about things like this, uh, a couple of things are going through my mind. First, how incredible it is, but also, secondly, as to myself, I feel a little disconnected right. as well as a little intimidated. I mean, China is a long way away from Canton. Anybody realize that? It's not like right down the street. And I've been to China, and it is a long way away. But it's also intimidating because it's like, you know, somebody like Pastor Tom and all that's going on, I just feel very inadequate. Like, man, how can I make a difference in something like that? I mean, how how can I measure up to that or any of the nations that uh, the Lord has opened up to uh, Mount Perrin North? And so Pastor Jeremy and I want to talk a little bit about missions from the standpoint of how do we deal with the sense of distance as well as the sense of inadequacy that we might feel, uh, and we're going to do that by looking at the story of Moses. Now, I think everybody kind of knows who Moses is, but we're going to look at him in the book of Exodus, a couple of places there, and so before we jump into that, let me kind of give the backdrop of the story of Moses. Moses, when he was born, the people of Israel were in captivity with an, in Egypt. They were in slavery there. And uh, Pharaoh had put out a decree that any uh, male Hebrew uh, that's born is to be killed immediately. Save the girls, but kill the infant boys. But when Moses was born, his parents hid him for about three months from the authorities, but they couldn't hide him anymore. So they put him in the Nile River in a basket at the time they knew that Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing. And so the basket came down where she was, and she saw the baby in there and, and took the baby as her own to raise as her own son, gave him the name Moses, which means to draw out. He was drawn out of the Nile, but then obviously his name also, he drew the people of Israel out of slavery and into freedom. So he was raised as an Egyptian. However, he also was raised understanding his Hebrew ancestry because God arranged for Moses' own mom to be his nanny when he was growing up. So about the age of 40, Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses kills, murders this Egyptian and buries him, tries to hide him, but they found out, Pharaoh finds out. So Moses takes off for his life and ends up going way out in the wilderness where he meets a family that meets a woman out of that family. She becomes his wife. And for 40 more years, he is out in the desert. At the age of 80, we pick up the story, and it's in Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. And it says this, during that long period, that 40 years that Moses was gone, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. 
God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The first thing we want to look at in this idea of, of, of missions being such a distant thing and inadequate is that the mission is God's. It's not ours. Yeah. It's his. I mean, God's mission always for the people of Israel was that they would be a people in a promised land being his witnesses. They weren't going to be an enslaved people in Egypt. So God had this mission, and he's simply inviting Moses to be a part of it and to help lead the way. See, God's mission for all the nations of the world, to, or they, they are to reflect his glory in this earth. He made every person in his image. And as a part of his image, we are to reflect his glory in this earth. But sin, our own evil, has sabotaged all that. It's ruined it. It's wrecked the image of God in every person. But Jesus Christ, by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we sang about the Lamb of God a moment ago, he has restored that glory of God back to us so that all the nations can reflect his glory. And God's mission is that. That all the nations will reflect his glory in this earth. See, God's mission for China, where Pastor Tom is, his mission for China is that they will reflect his glory. But he has seen and heard the cries of the China people, just like he heard the cries of the Israelites. And he has seen what the tyranny of atheism and communism has done to a people. His mission is to reach that nation. As we saw in the video, Pastor Jacob talking about Turkey. God has seen what the, uh, a false religion like Islam has done to the people there. He's heard their cries. His mission is for Turkey to reflect like glory, his glory. In, in this very place, we saw the prayer. Prayed a year ago in this very space when it was nothing but four walls. God had a mission for a Canton church to be located right here before any of us came along. Right. And he is simply saying, I've got a mission. I'm inviting you to be a part of it. It's his mission. In fact, there's a great story that I love in, in the New Testament. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to the New Testament in John. It's a story everybody's aware of, whether you've attended church for any length of time at all. And that is the story where Jesus Christ is feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. I want you to see this story for a moment to see there's one particular thing that John writes that's always intrigued me. And in verse 1 of John chapter 6, it says, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed the hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And look what it says here. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. He already had the mission. He was going to do this miracle of feeding over 5,000 people with nothing but five loaves and two fish. He already had in mind what he's going to do. He's saying to Philip, do you want to be a part of this? Hmm. He was challenging him. He was testing him. And in essence, all of us in this room right now, the Lord is kind of challenging and testing us. I got a great mission that's going on. Do you want to be a part of it? Inviting us to participate. And you know, his mission is a winning mission. The scripture says that of his kingdom, there will be no end. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And it also says that this gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be preached to every nation, and then the end is going to come. His mission is a winning mission. When I was a kid growing up, I hated to lose. Hated to lose. I would throw temper tantrums. I would, oh, man, it was awful. And, and I played a, lot, played a lot of sports growing up. And we would, we would watch 
a lot of sports on television. And uh, when we'd watch a ball game of some kind, whatever it was, everybody in the room saying, I'm for this team, I'm for that team, all this. And they'd say, Mark, who are you for? And I said, I'm for the team that wins. Because <laughs> I didn't want to lose. Well, let me tell you something. When you join into God's mission, this is a winning mission. There's no power, there's no force that can oppose the mission of God. And he's simply inviting us to join in this mission. If we do, we will see and be a part of incredible things. Well, I like to win too. And so I want to join a team that's winning, right? I want to join a team that I know is going to win. But oftentimes, it doesn't feel like it's God's story. It feels like it's my story. It feels like it's my life. It feels like it's my stress. It feels like it's the things that I'm trying to accomplish. And so when I hear that, I, I believe it. I, I, I want to believe it even more. But what I love about this story, what I love about the examples of Scripture, including the, the passage in John and hearing the story of Moses and all throughout the narrative from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is it's not just this disconnected story of God, mission of God, that we have no part in. What we also understand is that God is inviting us to be a part of that. You know, Moses was, he, he was raised there with Pharaoh and in Pharaoh's house. And he goes out one day and he sees this Egyptian who's hurting this, this Hebrew. And so he goes and he actually kills the Egyptian and he buries him. And he doesn't think anybody sees it. The next day he comes out and, and somebody says, what are you going to do? You're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian. And so he goes off running and he ends up out in the desert. He ends up out with his father-in-law. And so he's doing something here. I want us to read this in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I want us to look at this story of Moses. This is a story, again, we're probably familiar with about an interaction that he had with God. It said, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. That's one of the most underwhelming verses of Scripture <laughs> in all of the Bible. I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and God said, here, and Moses said, here I am. And so what we see here is we see that God already had a mission. God understood that there was something that he wanted to accomplish in the people of God. And then he calls Moses, who's actually on the run. He's in hiding. But in his hiding, he, he, God interrupts that, and God calls him to the mission. That's the second thing we want to talk about today, is that for all of us, God calls us to his mission. It's not a disconnected thing that God's doing and we're not a part of. God invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Now, every single day, Moses was doing the same thing. It's just like you and I have. We have a routine. We have a schedule. We have the things that we do in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. That's what he's doing. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep. He's out in the middle of the desert. He's doing the same thing that he always does. And God interrupts that daily routine. The bush catches fire. Moses looks over and sees, I, I don't know if bush is on fire. Was this, you know, kind of weird thing, normal thing? I have no idea. But something about this bush caught his attention, and he says, with no exclamation points in the writing here, I will go over and see this sight. Like, <laughs> there's something happening that I want to see here. And so he walks over, and then God says, the Spirit of God, out of this bush, says to him, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name. You know, the call of God for all of us is personal. Yeah. It's not just general. It's very personal. And he says to you by name, he calls you by name, come and be a part of the mission that I am about, the story that I am writing in the world. And so you and I, sometimes we, we view these interruptions as just that, interruptions. But I encourage all of us, myself included, to go, okay, what might God be doing? 
Like in this moment where I'm going to kind of turn aside from the daily routine, what could I see about the power of God being demonstrated here? What might I hear if I open my ears and my heart to the voice of God and what he might be saying to me in this moment? And so I just encourage all of us, and again, I'm speaking to myself more than anybody, to, to allow God to interrupt our daily schedule, our daily routine, so that he might call us into this mission that he is about in the world. Now, even though it's his mission, sometimes it does. It feels like our mission, right? I, I've already talked about this. It's, it's our stress. It's our job. It's our family. It's our house. It's our mortgage. And so it's like, man, I feel stressed. I feel like this is my life, my job. All and so it doesn't feel like God's mission. But here's what I want us to read another passage here from Exodus 3 and see this, inc this powerful interaction between Moses and, and the Lord. It says this, beginning in verse 7 of Exodus 3. And, and buckle up here because we're going to read about seven verses together. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their, their cry because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing for, with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Oh, my. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, in these seven verses here, we see this really powerful conversation that's taking place that I think speaks to Moses in his kind of season here of trying to figure out if he's going to be a part of the mission of God, but it also speaks to you and I. And I think it's really powerful for us to look at. In these seven verses, God says, I, about himself, 11 times. He says, I have seen the misery. I have heard them crying. I am concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. I am sending you. I will be with you. I have sent you. I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. Now, if you read that, you can't help but think that this is God's mission, and he's not asking Moses to go alone. And yet, when you hear this conversation, what does Moses do? Several different times. He says, I, about himself. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if they'll believe me when I get there. Who do I tell, you know, say sent me when I get there if they're not sure? Like, I, I, I. I think for all of us, if we're not careful, we make this our story. Mm. We make this about us. And instead of it being the I of God, it's I, 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 I about me. I'm uncertain. I feel inadequate. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. And I would encourage all of us today to hear the words of God as he says, I have seen your situation. I have a plan. I'm going to deliver you as he invites us to be a part of his story and his mission. It's a powerful reminder that you are not in this on your own. You are not just kind of making this up as you go along. You are a part of, if you accept that invitation, you are a part of the story that God is writing in the mission that God is going to fulfill because he eventually does win. And so you get to be a part of the story. Even in the midst of all this uncertainty, all that Moses is trying to do, all that Moses is trying to respond back to God, God says, not only that, I, I won't even make you go by yourself. I'll send Aaron with you. There's comfort in that. There's community in that. We together can be a part of fulfilling the mission that God is calling us to. 
And so I encourage all of us today not to just look at this like, okay, this is God's story, and I guess I get to kind of be on the periphery. No, God's saying, listen, I have seen the situation. I have a plan, but I want you to be a part of this story with me. Yeah, so it's his mission, and he calls us into it, and we see this sense of inadequacy within Moses. And I want to I spend a little more time right there just to see just the statements that Moses makes, these I statements. Yeah that Pastor Jeremy was talking about. So looking back at Exodus 3 again, verse 1, just, just taking these statements out of this. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? What if, what if they don't think I have what it takes? What if, what if they think um, uh, 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 they, they have doubts about me? And then verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. i got to be honest with you. If a burning bush is speaking to me, I think I would be slow of speech and tongue <laughs> as well. But here he's saying, what it, I don't have what it takes. I, I'm, I'm inadequate. I, I, I can't do this. And then finally, verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> I mean, look at this. This, this is us. This is me, man. I says, this is me talking here. I, I see so much of this. And, and even though, yes, it's his mission, he calls us to it, we got to understand that feelings of inadequacy do not disqualify us right. from being involved. And I want to add one caveat to that. It doesn't excuse us either. That's right. I mean, he's talking to us about being involved in his mission. Inadequacy is not a good, good excuse, nor does it disqualify me. I mean, it, it, Moses says, please send someone else. God's like... If I wanted to send someone else, I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> I'd be go talking to the person I want to send. But no, I'm talking to you. I want you to do this. You're the one I'm talking to. And let's just understand this right now. Who in here is adequate, adequate enough for what God wants us to do? None of us are adequate. If God waited for us to get adequate before he used us, he would not use anybody. God knew Moses' sense of inadequacy. He knew that. That wasn't the issue for God. It wasn't Moses' responsibility to go deliver Israel. That was God's responsibility. Moses' responsibility was simply to be faithful and obedient to what God was asking him. Right. It's not Tom Yang's responsibility to save China. That's God's responsibility. Tom just needs to be faithful and obedient. It's not Pastor Jacob's responsibility to save Turkey. That's God's responsibility. He just needs to be faithful and obedient. That's all he's asking us to do. Be faithful and obedient to what he's asking. So let's fast forward again to the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that we saw just a moment ago. Where Jesus is saying, hey, we need to feed these folks. Philip, let's feed them. He knows what he's going to do. We pick up the story, verse 8. Look at this now. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what is that? What good is that with the huge crowd? What's he saying? It's inadequate. Right. It's not going to work. It's insufficient. And Jesus goes, oh, my goodness, how are we going to feed these people? We don't have enough. No, that's not what he says. He says, tell everybody to sit down. They all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the twelve baskets with scraps left by the people 
who had, taken, who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Five loaves and two fish will not feed 5,000 people until it's placed in the hands of Jesus Christ. That's the difference maker. All the Lord is asking for us, I just ask you for five loaves and two fish. Hmm. Whatever that is in your situation, I just want five loaves and two fish. It was not the little boy's responsibility to feed the 5,000. That was Jesus' responsibility. The little boy's responsibility... Just be faithful and obedient to what God was asking for. Good. That's all he's asking for. That's it. He knows your five loaves and two fish. He's simply saying, will you join me in this mission? It's incredible. I'm going to make this happen. I'm giving you an opportunity to participate in something great. Last year, between our two campuses, Marietta campus and the Canton campus, we gave to missions $635,000. Oh. Good stuff. Now, that's record-breaking giving. We've never given that much in our history. Here's what's crazy. Two years ago, we were record-breaking giving. We broke our record two years ago last year. Hmm. We're believing we're going to break it again this year. $635,000. Now, listen, one person did not give $635,000. A hundred people didn't give $635,000. 300 people didn't give $635,000. 642 giving units. Gave $635,000. Now, I blew my math at the 915 service. But that's not a very smart group anyway, so they didn't catch it. <laughs> You're much smarter. So I had to get my math right. It's a thousand, listen, a thousand bucks a giving unit. You break that down weekly. It's less than 20 bucks a week. That's all it is. A thousand dollars from one person won't do a whole lot in these nations. You put them in the hands of the Lord, it's amazing what God can do. All he's saying is, I've got a mission. I'm inviting you to be a part of it. I know you don't have all that it takes. That's not what I'm asking you about. I'm just simply asking you be obedient to what I speak to your heart about investing in this mission and watch what I will do. <laughs> give you an opportunity to pray about, even make a pledge about what those five loaves and two fish might do in your...